Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to another episode of my podcast. Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to inspire the built world to embrace sustainability ESG and to ultimately help us decarbonize the world's largest asset class. And today, I'm really, really thrilled to have Spencer Levy, who is the Global Chief Client Officer, Senior Economic Advisor at the world's largest uh, services and investment company, CBRE, joining the podcast today. I've been a big fan of Spencer's for a very, very long time. He's quite the big figure in our industry. Got a great podcast, is a well, well-known keynote speaker and wore a lot of different hats in his career at CBRE. So it's a real pleasure to have Spencer on the podcast. Spencer, thanks for spending some time with me today. Michael, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really psyched to talk about this topic. So just uh, if you could, uh, Spencer, just introduce uh, your current role, because I know you've been at CBRE for 15, 16 something years. What, what are you focused on these days for the audience to know? Sure. Well, as Global Chief Client Officer, I focus on our largest clients and our largest clients on both the investor side and on the occupier side, and not just ask them what's going on, but try to advise them on what other people are doing and how to do things better, where to buy better, where to invest better. And I know, get cutting right to the chase of this podcast, ESG has been at the top of every one of those conversations uh, <laughs> that I've had for the last eight months of having this job, uh, in particular coming from our European clients, which really have led the charge in moving the agenda faster than anybody. That's great. So let's jump in then. So, you know, CBRE is recognized that one of the top most sustainable companies in the world, right? That's been verified and the company ranks, I think it's 22nd in some recent survey that I, I saw. So how would you like sort of explain to the, to the listeners, to the viewers, how does CBRE think about ESG today? Sure. Well, I would put us in, we wear three hats. One hat is CBRE, the organization. Second is CBRE as the advisor to our clients. And third is CBRE investment management, where we actually are the owner of assets. And I would say that each one of them has the same basic mission, which is how do we do more, more effectively on the ESG front, environmental, social governance, and then we can go into R&W, resilience and wellness. But the bottom line is we all have the same motivation. But interestingly, we also go about it the same basic way. How do we do this in an accountable way and a measurable way? Because if you can't do it that way, it's not going to be sticky. It's not going to happen. And I had on my podcast a few months ago, several, and we talked about ESG all the time, but we had several CEOs on there. And the, the prism through which people look at this isn't just doing the right thing. And that's a good prism, right? But doing it in a way that you can make the same type of uh, returns on ESG investments as you would as any other. And a lot of people say, oh, well, why don't you take a dollar less? It's like, well, you know, to have something be sustainable, it needs to be sustainable. 
And sustainable means a well-run for-profit business. Actually, if they embrace these values, which we have and are, we're trying to put in our clients and our buy side, we actually could make an enormous impact. Mm. So given the fact that you know, you've been in research, led research at CBRE for so many years, and you're deep into content and trends, where do you see the topic today amongst your clients, right? I mean, the, the fear that somebody like I have, uh, you know, that comes from the world of PR is that, are we just in like a greenwashing phase? Is this just like a lot of corporations checking boxes? You know, where are we from the client side? And how do we know that this is going to really be real this time? Because the stakes are so high. Sure. So uh, you used the term greenwashing. And what that term means for our listeners who aren't familiar with it is people wrapping themselves saying we're green, but not really being green. And uh, there was actually an article about that in yes. the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. So it's not a uncommon topic. We do everything we can not to do that. Uh, we actually try to be accountable, measurable, and uh, for what we do on the ESG front. And the good news is this, is that PropTech has made it easier because now we're actually able to measure these things. And that's really important because there was a fundamental shift in the way real estate companies think about green in the last couple of years. And that fundamental shift was this. The gold standard used to be um, getting a lead rating or an energy star rating on your building. That's not the gold standard anymore. The gold standard now is following some version of the UN principles on responsible investing and or some of the things that came out of the Paris Climate Accords, which is a measurement over time system rather than a point in time system, which is lead and energy star when you build it. And that measurement system is exactly what the European investors want. And so I was on the phone with a major European investor uh, last week, and we were talking about how they do their investments for new deals in the United States. And they say they bring in a couple of environmental consultants who then look at these UN principles or the Paris Climate Accords and measure what is being done at that asset. And if the asset isn't doing those things, they will either A, reduce their bid to make the cost the same as if when they put it in themselves, or two, they won't bid at all. Mm-hmm. And so that is where we, that's the reality right now, price reduction or smaller bidding pool. And that's why we've advised to all of our clients, and I'll say on this podcast, bring in a consultant today mm-hmm. to measure your buildings to see, are they compliant? And if not, what the cost would be, because it's better that you know now than you find out at the bidding process. I read a blog of yours recently, and I'm a big fan of your podcast, and we'll, we'll, we'll put the, in the show notes um, how people can subscribe to it. Tell me about some of the clients that you're working with that you're, you mentioned uh, Michael Turner at, at Oxford and some others. I'd love for you just to give some examples of some companies that are leading the way in embracing ESG in our, in our industry. I don't normally mention our clients, but since they were guests on my pop podcast and they were public, uh, we have an episode coming out uh, next week uh, where we have um, heads of uh, asset management for Bentall Green Oak. We've had the CEOs of Oxford. We've had the mm-hmm. CEOs of CBREIM, Invesco, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And, and what's really interesting about all of these folks, for the most part, they are following these standards in a very similar fashion in terms of this shift from the lead energy star to the UN principles. But there's one area of controversy here where not everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. And um, this really is where the E and the S, the social kind of overlap, right? And so the S, the way most people are dealing with that is through hiring practices through diversity from the board level down to the subcontractor level. 
What most people aren't doing, though some are, and by the way, public information, Oxford is one of them, is investing in so-called impact funds, which is actually building or buying assets that are socially beneficial, like affordable housing or grocery stores, or putting them into distressed neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are not doing that and then rather just following these UN principles for their existing pool. But back to the green side, um, I would say on the E side, they are all going to this UN thing, but that's still a moving target as well. Because while the UN principles of responsible investing exist and they've been around for a while, there's a whole new way of looking at the built environment in terms of carbon capture. And carbon capture is a concept that is brand new to people in my business. And how do you measure it fairly? And just to give you a one statistic I quote quite a lot, you take the same amount of steel and the same amount of wood. Mm. And by the way, people can build with wood now office buildings using what's known as cross-laminated timber. That wood is 90% more energy efficient than the steel when you take into consideration the energy required to create that same equivalent amount of steel. So I would say that they're all marching in the same direction, using similar, if not the same standards. Um, some of them are leaders in the in the business. And I would say those folks coming from Europe are leaders. And I will give a specific shout out to my co- clients. You know, BGO has been uh, on, in front of this issue for years, well before a lot of other folks. Um, and not to disp- diminish the great efforts of all my other clients. But the bottom line is that people are still trying to figure out what the deal is with uh, these changes with carbon capture. How do you measure it? What should you measure? Adaptive reuse is obviously cleaner than building new. But then again, when you do adaptive reuse, you have all these other issues uh, as it relates to building materials before you even talk about old school issues like asbestos. I'd love to get your view also, Spencer, like, again, because you have such a global uh, view and and, and a global uh, job at CBRE. What are you finding in the different regions of the world? You know, for instance, when Cretec does a, a, a conference in London, this is like table stakes, like every sort of panel and every keynote. This is what they want to talk about. As I said, this is um, front and center for everybody. In, in the States, um, you know, it's not so much right now. And we're trying to, to move the needle to get people to focus on it more. But I'm finding, at least in my experience, it's not really there yet. Tell me about sort of your global view about the conversation about ESG. Well, I, I love the word you used, table stakes, because that's a word I use almost every day with I my clients. What truly is table stakes and what isn't? And that's a big distinction because table stakes, what, what table stakes really means is it's a binary choice. You either do it or you're not getting tenants, right? It may actually reduce your ROI, but if you don't get any tenants, you got no ROI anyways, right? Um and the reason why table stakes is controversial here in the U.S. is because, first of all, you should know that green standards really only applied to office buildings right. until a few years ago. In fact, CBRE did a, a study a few years ago called the Green Building Adoption Index, which I was involved in. And we found out that number one city in America for having green buildings, as measured by Lead and Energy Star, was Chicago at about wow. 75% of their office buildings. But the number one building for green multifamily or apartment buildings was Denver. At 7%. You heard me right. 75, 7. What accounts for the difference? What accounts for the difference is two things. Number one is tenant demand. Tenants in office building demanded it. In multi, they didn't. But the second one, and this is the one that's changed the most. Investors are now demanding it Mm -hmm. in multifamily, in retail, in industrial, which was never the case before. That's great. And I I was going to ask you about that, the different asset classes. And I think you just answered that. So 
you know, the, the, what I struggle with, because for me, this, this is not greenwashing at Cretech. I mean, there's lots of other markets that we could focus on where there's more prop tech dollars coming in and more people want to pay attention to than, than climate. But for, it's, it's personal for me. It's sort of mission critical to, you know, my life and my legacy. But I'm, you know, having been in commercial real estate for 35 years and listeners to the podcast know I'm stressed because I don't know how we're going to get this done. Like we cannot get to net zero, you know, and address the climate crisis unless the built world, the commercial real estate industry leads the way. And it's great that we've got Oxford and Jamestown and RxR and many others that you've mentioned, but that's not the entire industry. The entire industry is probably 80% of it, if not more, is probably owned by smaller regional players, right? How do we, how are we going to get the entire industry to recognize that it's imperative as an opportunity and as a challenge that they embrace, you know, sustainability? Um, you've got government coming after them. You've got tenants demanding it, both residential and commercial, uh, the, the rating agencies, the regulators, the lenders. But is that enough? What's, what's well, there's always a carrot happen? and a stick, right? There's always a carrot and a stick. And everybody wants to use it. When I talk about my way I do business, I say, listen, I've got 99 carrots and one stick in my backpack, and I haven't used the stick yet. I try not to use the stick, but unfortunately, sometimes you have to. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to be pejorative about um, regulation, um, but you have to think about which regulation, uh, which one might call the stick, um, is going to be uh, actually productive and which will be counterproductive. And so one of, the, one of the challenges we have is that the regulatory environment in the United States is a patchwork. It's very different in New York and California than it is in Texas, Tennessee, and Florida, right? It's just different. And so one of the real challenges that localities don't embrace, and I, I know this because I speak to everybody uh, from mayors down to the, the economic development agencies, capital and talent is mobile. And we'll go to the places where they have the best opportunities. Your city is immobile. And if you make it too restrictive to do business in your city, people are going to leave. And so will the capital. So you need to figure out the right balance between regulation and doing the right thing that will not scare away capital and talent, but will actually embrace it and bring more of it. And, that, and, that, and that's the balancing act. It's very difficult. Um, and I think some people have gotten it right. Um, and, uh, well, I'm not saying we should become the EU, uh, but I am saying that the EU has one standard that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but nevertheless, um, doing it in a way that looks at the economic reality of your choices is much better than doing it because it's the right thing. Because if you do it just because it's the right thing, you're going to scare away talent and capital. Yeah. And that's, that's great, Spencer. And I, I completely agree. I think that it's, it's sort of this balance between the public and the private sector that I wrestle with, because on one hand, I want to have hope that the public sector will do as you say, and that's the, the big carrot, right? But then again, you just look at the dysfunctionality in, the, in our political environment. Like, how is that going to get done? I mean, I applaud New York for what they're doing with Local Law 97, Boston's following suit, other cities in North America. You, you got the UK Green, big, uh, green Deal. Great. But is it going to really have to just come down to, and you've talked about this and I've listened to you talk about this, that the private sector, it's just that R, right? That you always talk about the R, the ROI. Is, is that what's going to truly incentivize our industry 
to mobilize, get their shit together and really lean in aggressively? Bottom line, yes. And I will say this. So even though New York has a much deeper, heavier regulatory environment than other places, you know what New York also has? The deepest, largest, highest quality talent pool in the world. Right. There's over 30 million people in New York. And based upon CBRE's tech talent survey, they always come in the top five every year. And that's why large occupiers are still going to flock there. And they're going to pay the highest rents that in many, not all cases, will justify some of the extra regulation costs that are placed upon the landlord. So if you have a deep, diverse, high quality talent base, that will give you greater freedom to put some of these regulations in place. But if you go too far, the talent and the capital ultimately will leave, as we've seen in some cases, to some of the new new kids on the block cities like Nashville, Orlando, Tampa, Phoenix, Raleigh, uh, you name it, uh, places that have not only great talent, but an, a much easier uh, ease of doing business environment. By the way, there was a great study on ease of doing business uh, by the Arizona State University uh, that ranks cities in North America. You should take a look at it because it's a not a guide, but it will at least give you a way that businesses look at where should I put my next uh, office. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. We'll do that. Final question, Spencer, for me is, um, you know, when you think about, again, you know, I have such deep respect for all that you've done in your career and, and you're always somebody that's talking about where things are going and, and just a stellar track record in understanding markets, cycles and what have you. So fast forward, you know, a couple of years out, what are we looking at? What should we be hopeful or, or, or pessimistic about? what the future might look like, whether it's various cities and what who's attracting talent and who's not and where this conversation will be held. Well, what will we be talking about if, when you and I reconvene in five years? Well, I think most people who would answer that question would say, everybody's moving to the Southeast, Southwest and Texas, right? I'm not that guy. Uh, I think that we are going to see a flow of people to those places for many of the reasons we talked about, one of them being ease of doing business. But you're still going to see the greatest number of the most highly educated, talented, dare I say, productive people going to the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the Chicago's, the L.A.'s of the world. And why? If you want me to use a fancy economics term, I will. It's called the agglomeration effect. It's the confluence of talent, capital, infrastructure, live, work, play that's going to bring people to these places. But the big change that's going to happen in many of these cities is that the definition of CBD or central business district may change. It's going to change into what's known as the BBD. And I borrow that term from one of our clients, Highwoods Properties, who coined it. And that means that moving in Chicago from maybe the Loop to the Fulton Market, moving in Dallas from near the Crescent to Frisco, moving in Miami to the Wynwood section. So these cities will transform themselves. And the big cities not only will survive, they will thrive because talent always wins in the end. On the green front, we are going to see rising tides of what is in fact table stakes. And that table stakes is going to be driven from the institutional market by investor preference. And investor preference started in Europe, but it's already here in the United States as well. The part of the market, Michael, that's going to take the longest to transform is the privately held commercial real estate market, which is smaller assets owned by smaller operators who are not trying to seek institutional capital. It's for those folks uh, where we're going to see a much longer um, uh, time to convert. But for the institutional market, five years from now, the table stakes will be higher and will be a whole lot greener. Oh, well, that, that's encouraging. 
But then to answer my question, then to, to help me understand how we're going to get those other non-institutional companies to embrace some of these covenants that we've talked about. How, do, how are we going to do that? Well, ultimately, in a free market economy, anybody who's a smaller owner operator of a smaller commercial real estate asset type is looking to maximize the value of their asset uh, by maximizing their rent and maximizing its exit value. Uh, in some markets, um, they are not going to be able to attract tenants. Uh, in some markets, they're not going to be able to sell the asset. Uh, is there a role for regulation in some of this? There is. But again, that regulation needs to be balanced against the real impact it will have on the flow of capital and talent. Because if you overregulate, some of these small people just won't be able to afford the changes. Got it. Got it. What's next for you, Spencer? What, what are you focused on next? Well, uh, I would say that uh, I am uh, very proud uh, with my partner, Paula Campbell-Roberts. We are now the co-chairs of the Real Estate Roundtables Research Committee. Wow. And uh, we've been in that seat now for a few months. And um, what we're trying to do on the Research Committee of the Real Estate Roundtable, and for people who aren't familiar, the Roundtable is probably the top lobbying organization within real estate, is we're trying to bring these two issues together. The issue of the commercial real estate industry doing well for its participants from a profit standpoint, but doing well for society from the green, from the S, from the G standpoint. And so we're writing papers on affordable housing. Um, we're talking about green. So trying to bring the two together uh, using our platform is uh, a big focus of mine today. Oh, that's great. Yes, I'm a huge fan, uh, obviously, of the roundtable and all the work that they do. And it's great that you and your partner are, are leading it. Well, Spencer Levy, Global Chief Client Officer, Senior Economic Advisor at CBRE. You know, this this podcast, for, you know, feels like, for me, it's like my therapy sessions every week where, you know, I'm so stressed about climate. I'm so focused on trying to get our industry to embrace a lot of what you've talked about. And there's so much more we could have got into because I know you've written and talked a lot about resiliency and wellness. And we'll have you back on uh, to talk about that. If I can give you one little, you know, yeah, go ahead. I know you're scared. I'm going to say one thing that I say yeah. to my, my students because I also teach public speaking. I know. Fear is good yeah, if you exactly. use it appropriately. Yep. You need to use it to focus on actually solving the problem rather than fretting about it and solving the problem is looking at the talent and economic realities and how to blend the two together. Yeah, no, uh, thank you for that. And and that's what I do. And that's, you know, in talking to people like you that are on the front lines that are really in those boardrooms with the biggest real estate companies, you know, creating actionable change, that gives me hope. And that inspires me and you inspire me, my friend. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast and we'll, we'll see you down the road for sure. Thank, thank you, Michael. I look forward to the next one. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.